Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Ball and Chain podcast. I am your host, Mark Thomas, coming to you from Southern California. Excited to be with you here on this Tuesday evening, uh, May 18th. And we've got a great episode coming up here for you. Uh, But first, a couple of things. One, uh, as always, this episode is brought to you by Zen Sports, which is the sports betting and cryptocurrency and payments platform of choice uh, that allows sports bettors to uh, bet against the house or bet peer-to-peer using fiat or crypto currencies. We also um, have a a really great guest here tonight uh, that we're going to bring on here in a second. Um, First, just a quick little monologue on the uh, Bucks upcoming playoff situation, which super excited about. Uh, They're actually tentatively scheduled for Saturday uh, to kick off against the Heat, uh, which I couldn't be more thrilled about to exercise some old demons, uh, show them what we've got, show them what should have happened last year. I really still am a believer that the only reason that they lost that series last year was because they didn't have the home court that they had rightfully earned. Uh, The Heat were one of the worst road teams in the NBA last year, and they got away with not having to play one single road game. So that's going to change this year, and now we've got the home court, and we will see what happens, and I'm very excited about that. Um, and we're gonna we're actually going to talk some Packers with our guests here today, so I'll save that part for the pod, and the Brewers are just kind of meandering along a little bit above 500. Their offense is uh, uh, offensive, uh, is probably the best way to say it. Uh, and the pitching is is quite good. So we'll see where they end up here as we go along. So with all that recap uh, aside, would love to welcome our guest uh, for today's podcast episode, uh, which is Chris uh, Amberly uh, from uh, TSN, Toronto Sports Network. He is north coming to us from north of the border today, uh, and he is heavy into sports, uh, sports betting, fa- daily fantasy sports, um, on the media and the writing side of things, and excited to have him here today. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thanks very much for having me. I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk all things uh, sports and sports betting, and I'm hoping maybe you can talk me off the ledge uh, in regards to this upcoming Packers season, because <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a rough couple of weeks for us. Packer right. Fans. And and so the for the audience, Chris is actually as big of a Packer fan as I am, which is awesome. Uh, that's not why we asked him on the pod, by the way. Uh, that just happens to be a nice side benefit. So it doesn't yes. hurt though, right? Yeah, exactly. We're like, all right, well, you know, when we when we're deciding which guests to have on in May versus June, we're like, eh, we'll give the nod to we'll give the nod to Chris here. Uh, so yeah, let's let's start off with that. Um, okay, so I'm going to first turn it over to you to get your thoughts on both a why you think uh, this happened on draft day in terms of Aaron Rodgers' news coming out that he wants out of Green Bay. And then B, do you find this to be like uh, uh, Kuhn and a few others have come out and said that this is reconcilable, uh, this is resolvable? Do you believe that the two sides will put their differences aside or that at least Rodgers will put his differences aside and he'll be playing for the Packers this year? Okay, a lot to unpack here. Um, first things first, I believe this was all set up by Rodgers from the beginning. I mean, he was embarrassed last year when they drafted his replacement on draft night without ever mentioning this to him. And he, he he's a grudge holder. We all know that. 
and this timing just screams of of his attempt at revenge. He was going to embarrass them on draft day, just like they did to him last year. I mean, they traded up to draft Jordan Love, who, I mean, the jury is still out on, on Jordan Love, but the early accounts are not positive. I mean, apparently he was a disaster in, um, in his rookie season, so much so that he was inactive on game day every week of the season, and they ended up using Tim Boyle um, as their number two QB. So I think Rodgers was not only frustrated and upset that they once again, you know, avoided drafting a skill position player in the first round last year, uh, someone to help him, help his team, but B, they drafted his replacement and the guy they drafted doesn't seem to be ready anytime soon to, you know, to take over for him. So is it reconcilable? I mean, where else, where else is he going to play? I mean, they're not going to trade him. They've been adamant about the fact that they're not going to trade him. And I mean, even if, even if they were going to trade him, where would he go? I mean, what team is in position to trade for a quarterback that would ultimately become a Super Bowl caliber team should they acquire Rodgers? I mean, all the top teams in the league, all the Super Bowl contenders are already set at that position. Right. And so I think the where would he go question is, is definitely probably the biggest or most important question because – First of all, as you kind of hinted at, any other team that would want to trade for Rodgers needs to be Super Bowl ready minus a quarterback. Um, they can't have a ton of other missing pieces or they're not going to give up a, a, a ton of draft picks in return for a quarterback that really can only help them for the next two, three years. And so that, you know, a bunch of teams go out the window just with that alone. And then, of course, you have the other side, which is teams that already have their quarterback. And there's at least 10 to 12 teams, um, maybe maybe even 15 that are like, Hey, we've got our guy. We're good. Um, we're not looking for anybody else. Um, you know, even though that would be a massive upgrade, um, you know, and maybe the case of the teams that are in the 12th to 15th kind of bracket, uh, they're still not going to make a move. So then you're down to what, I don't know, maybe three or four teams at most that would make sense. Um, and so maybe possibly the Raiders come to mind, uh, cause they have a pretty good offense and probably could use an upgraded quarterback. John Gruden is definitely in win now mode. Um, but even the rumors of him going to Denver didn't make any sense at all. I mean, they are not a quarterback away from winning at all. Even the same thing in Miami. I don't believe they're a quarterback away from winning at all. They've got a good defense, but I still don't uh, fully believe their offense is great. And then, of course, when you look at the Packers offense, uh, this notion that he has no weapons or that the Packers aren't doing a good job of giving him weapons is a joke. Uh, Devontae Adams is the best wide receiver in the league. Aaron Jones is a complete weapon. Robert Tunyon is probably the second, maybe third best quarterback in the or tight end in the NFL. And, um, you know, seller off probably the best offensive line in football, not maybe the top three. So it's, it's really kind of baffling the, the thought of where else I agree with you. What other team would need him? Plus where else would he go to win a Super Bowl? But then the other part of this is, is well, maybe a, he doesn't, he doesn't care about that anymore. Uh, for whatever reason, be really unfortunate to to think that way, but maybe it is. Um, so maybe that part of the equation's out the door. Uh, and then the other part of the equation is, will team, you know, uh, ultimately do it? Well, the problem there is it only takes one. I just don't see him hold. I yeah, I definitely don't see them trading him, which I agree with. And I don't see him holding out to try and force their hand. I don't think he wants to go that far. I don't think he wants that to be his legacy. I, and it's also, of course, a question of whether they ultimately trade him. I think they would trade him if he held out. 
Um, but that's about the only scenario. I just don't think he wants to be that adamant about it. I agree with you that this is mostly a bit of a publicity stunt um, and a bit of a kind of a revenge factor uh, because he's definitely vengeful. I also feel it's a little bit his girlfriend wants to kind of um, not be in Green Bay right now. I think there's something to that. Uh, and so maybe just kind of the spur of the moment, he's a little bit kind of talking about that stuff that is really it's irrelevant what she wants um, for the most part because, uh, you know, there's contracts and other stuff that, that play into this. But look, I believe at the end of the day, there is a 90% likelihood that he is under center for the Green Bay Packers on day one. I would be shocked, blown away, shocked if he was traded before then. And I, complete, I completely agree with that. And I mean, just in terms of, I mean, what's Green Bay's ceiling if you remove Rodgers from the equation? I mean, is this even a playoff team realistically? Because if you were going to trade him, you're not getting the top five. You're not getting the top 10 quarterback in return. I mean, there's well, very... The thought, the thought was if it's a Raiders trade that we would get Derek Carr uh, in return, along with a bunch of draft picks, right? Yeah. I, I just, mean, I think if, if you're Green Bay, I mean, your window is it's clearly now. For sure. And I mean, obviously Rogers is a big reason for that. And without Rogers, I mean, the downgrade from Rogers to Carr is yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's immense, it's, right? Yeah, but I think that's probably the only situation that gets them a quarterback that could take them to the playoffs. I think almost all other situations, it would it would be throwing Jordan Love to the fire and seeing yeah. how miserable he could be, uh, which would yeah. probably be <clears throat> probably about a two or three win team. Um you know, at best. Um, Does the fact that they brought in Blake Bortles, do you think that's even more of a um, negative sign on, on Jordan Love's prospects? I mean, do they even trust him this this season, do you believe, to even act as the backup? Assuming, I mean, obviously they assume, no. I think, that Rodgers will come back. Yeah, I haven't seen, I've seen very little footage of Love. Obviously, it hasn't been good. Um, I, I, I don't think he's going to be any kind of huge savior. I mean, obviously things could change and you never know what could happen, but you know, even when Rogers went into that Dallas game for Favre in 2007, it was clear he's pretty damn good. Um, well, you saw the, the sign right away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they didn't win the game, but I was like, okay, this guy's, this guy's got it. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the post Favre era. not ready, but I'm, I'm okay with the post post Favre era. Um, that was year three of Rogers. So it wasn't like his first or second year, but still, um, you're right. The, the signs or the sounds or the feedback on love has not been great. If Favre were, excuse me, if Rogers were not for some reason to be playing for the Packers this year and they did not get a Derek Hart or better caliber player back in return from a trade. Yeah. Then portals would be starting. And my gosh, I cannot believe no. we'd be having, I'm not, I'm not ready for that. Makes me, makes me absolutely depressed thinking about, any kind of like portals era. Yeah. And, and I just don't buy the fact that, that Rogers is going to give this all up, you know, at the height of his right. powers, fresh off an MVP season to go to what, to go host a game show. Right. I mean, that's, that's the rumor that, you know, people have been circulating. I don't believe that rumor at all, but and, I just, I mean, he wants to play for another couple of years. And Chris Russo made a great point that uh, Jeopardy would find Rogers a lot more valuable as a part-time host if he's playing for the Packers than if he's retired as a Packer, he carries a lot more weight and a lot more cachet. If he's hosting jeopardy, if he's doing it during the off season while he's still playing for the Packers versus he leaves to go do it permanently. I'm not saying it might not have a little bit, but who's going to care. Right. 
but actually having somebody that is the MVP of the league and that is, you know, Super Bowl caliber and, you know, one of the all-time greats play, uh, you know, uh, as the host while he's actually playing, I mean, that's actually pretty interesting um for them and so that's why they would probably keep bringing him back but i'm like i don't know if they'll even bring him back as a host if he's not playing anymore so i don't know i i just i feel that's a little bit of just kind of nonsense and if he really cares about like like moving to the west coast like some of the you know rumors are can you not really wait two or three more years and besides the football season's only about five five and a half months long it's not like he can't live like he already does in california the whole rest of the year it's not that inconveniencing to be in Wisconsin four or five months out of the year. Um, so I just, I just, a lot of those things, I just don't buy it. And, and look, if you really, and I would also say this, if you really can't stand Gutekunst, if there really is a riff there, it's not like he's interacting with him that often, if at all. It's not like with Mike McCarthy, where he was having to interact with him every single day and every single play. He's not, and what does he need to talk to Gutekunst for? And just go out there and win it because you want it. Hold your nose, you know, uh, type of thing. And uh, not be happy about it for Gutekunst, but be happy about it for yourself and the teammates and the fans. Uh, so I, I think he'll be okay. The one thing that I don't think it's brought up enough is how does this affect the locker room? Right? I mean, how are, how are his teammates, um, what do they think of all of this? How, how does that reflect on them if he's constantly making remarks in the media about how they didn't do enough to you know, to give him the pieces to win a championship about him holding out or, or not showing up. I mean, it reflects real poorly on him as, you know, as a leader of the team. Yeah. I think the part of, uh, I, I don't really know if the part is true of him saying that they haven't done enough to put pieces around him. I don't think the why part that he's mad at Gutekunst has really come out. I think he's just the part that he doesn't like him and he doesn't like the moves that he's made behind his back without kind of talking to him about it mostly i think we're referring to the jordan love uh draft here um i mean again going back to what i said before you probably have they have the, they have the number one offense in all in all football last year what, what is there to complain about like literally <laughs> how much better could you have been um you know and so <laughs> i i don't so i think that um the players respect rogers um for what he does but i don't know if he's like Tom Brady in the sense that they're all chummy chummy with him and love him, you know, in that way. Um, but they highly respect him enough to go out there and play well all the time. And of course they care about their careers as well too. And, and the team. Uh, so I think at the end of the day, it won't like once the season starts, assuming he's back in there and uh, playing, I actually think once they're on the field, I don't think, I think it'll be a nothing burger. I think they'll, they'll play normal uh, or they'll play, you know, to their capabilities. Um, I mean, they do care about winning a Super Bowl. And, you know, you got to put aside your differences sometimes to do that. So I think I really do think from that perspective, everything will be fine as long as he doesn't hold out. That's the one wild card or X factor here that I think is really difficult to predict is what happens if he decides to not show up uh, in July or whenever the training camps are. Um, That is the wild card factor or the X factor that could be a problem if he that, that would be a huge problem if he doesn't show up for that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I guess we will. I mean, I, I doubt there's going to be much indication uh, in the next couple of months leading up to training camp whether or not he's going to be there or not. And this feels like it's just going to kind of hang over their heads. It is. Yeah, 100% it is. Like, I mean, okay, theoretically, the Packers would be able to trade him after the June 1st, um, whatever period that is, uh, and not have as big of a salary cap hit. 
So they're not going to trade him before that because then they take the full salary cap hit for it. But they would have less, uh, significantly less of a salary cap hit if they do it after June 1st. So first of all, no trade before June 1st. We know that. Second of all, highly, highly unlikely they trade him after June 1st. And then, so at that point, then it comes down to, does he show up or not? Um, is he that mad that he doesn't? And I just can't see, no matter how vengeful he is, he's vengeful at one person. Really, one person. He's not going to hold up the whole show for that. Now, he's going to speak his mind in the meantime, um, which clearly he has. But he's not going <laughs> to hold up his whole career and you know ruin the legacy of his career and all that kind of stuff. Um, now, if he, I think he got, if he got traded, he would maybe be, maybe theoretically be happier. I don't know. Um, but the Packers are just not doing that, as you said, and I agree a hundred percent. So the trade's not happening any way, shape or form. So then it comes down to, is he willing to put his money where, the, where his mouth is and hold out for it? I say no. I mean, I, I tend to agree. It's just, it's, I mean, I just, this having this hangover, you know, Packer fans heads for the next couple months is, it's painful. Yeah. I mean, so, we've been so spoiled with having literally two quarterbacks since what, since the early nineties, whereas other teams in the division go through a new one each year. And, but still, it still hurts. You know, you become accustomed to this level of excellence and whenever it's threatened, it, it, and it, it's like, a yeah, when it's threatened for something, not because of someone's play deterioration, when it's threatened for kind of what I consider to be pettiness, silliness off the field, like, an off the field spat between the player and the GM. I mean, really? I mean, that's what you're going to throw this all away for. That's why. I mean, if, it, if it's played deteriorated, well, then that's one thing. Um, but I mean, he's got at least another three, four years of good solid play left in him. I mean, why oh, yeah. not? I mean, your last two years, you're one game away from going to the Super Bowl. This last year, you were one Kevin King blundered, uh, blown uh, play at the end of the first half from going. I mean, there's absolutely no reason why you wouldn't want to run this back. And you know, give it another shot uh, or two or three. I mean, there's, they, they're there. They are right there. Um, so yeah. From and, and, and the other part of it too, is, is he's in the easiest division of all of football. I mean, his freaking quarterbacks are uh, Carson Wentz his quarterback competition, Carson, Carson Wentz, uh, Jared Goff and uh, uh, cousins. It's like, are you Kirk cousins? Are you kidding me? You really can't. I mean, you're, you're you are penciled in for a division title every single year i mean it just that basically means you get a free shot at the at the super bowl every single year i mean why would you not want that i just don't get it so yeah we're on on the same page so are you a fan of any nhl nba or mlb teams are you a raptors and blue jays and maple Leafs fan um, I mean, believe it or not, uh, I am Canadian, but I do not follow the NHL anymore oh, uh, why is that? In, in quite some time. Uh, well, uh, I've been working and been inundated with NHL coverage for the last uh, 19 years. And about seven or eight years ago, um, I just, you know, it's, 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 I'm inundated with that when I'm at work 24 seven. And I just decided that I can't, I can't handle it anymore. I mean, Hockey was always kind of lower down in the pecking order for me after, um, after the NFL, after golf, after basketball. And, you know, you get to a point in your life where you just have to, you can't follow everything. And uh, the NHL was the first kind of casualty of my sports watching <laughs> agenda. So, um, so, but yeah, definitely still a fan of the Raptors. And um, 
baseball, I'm kind of in and out on. So is it one of those things with, in the case you're in your case with hockey, where you're always writing about it, you're always talking about it, you know, in the media, on the news that you just, it sucks the joy out of it. Is that really kind of what you're saying there? It's, it's exactly what it is. And I mean, I like to believe that if, you know, in Canada, we treated the NFL like we did the NHL, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have suffered this. I wouldn't have come to the same conclusion. I wouldn't be sick of, I, I mean, I can't imagine ever being sick of football. Um, however, just with hockey, it's just, it's such a priority in this country and it's always in your face all the time. And it's just, you know, it's, it's such a huge part of my work life that um, in my spare time, I try to, I try to step away from it. So we never had a hockey team growing up in Wisconsin, believe it or not yet. South Florida has a hockey team. Florida has two <laughs> hockey teams. Uh, Arizona has a hockey team. Tennessee has a hockey team. Carolina has a hockey team. Tennessee or uh, Texas has a hockey team. Uh, all these places you wouldn't think of having hockey teams have uh, multiple ones. Yet somehow Wisconsin never had one. And it's a very blue blue collar state, and hockey is a very blue collar sport. So I, very, it was it was always a little surprising that there wasn't a hockey team growing up. Back is there, there a minor pro there? Uh, there's a minor league hockey team, the Admirals. Okay, um, okay. but whatever. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to pay attention to that. So no. yeah, I think maybe part of it is, I mean, Wisconsin's a population of a little over 5 million people or so. I mean, they've already got the Packers, the Brewers, and the Bucks, and obviously Packers is religion there. Brewers is pretty close to religion there. Uh, I mean, they pack Miller Park and I'm going to keep calling it Miller Park, by the way. I'm not, I'm not calling it Amfam <laughs> Park. Sorry. I, my apologies to the American family company, but I'm just not doing it. Um, and and uh, the Brewers have always been like in the top 10 or 12 in attendance, even when they've been bottom feeders. I mean, people just there love to go to baseball games. They love to go to, or they love to tailgate going to baseball games. You've only got maybe three months of nice weather there. So they want to be out and about enjoying it. There's all sorts of festivals on the lakefront there. So they go to the game and they go to the festivals afterwards or vice versa. Um, so it's a, and obviously with the retractable roof, you're guaranteed a game regardless of the weather. So they of course can attract people from, everywhere uh, to come there and, and watch the game. So that's no problem either. Um, and then the Bucks have always been kind of third in the state, but, but, but still pretty passionate. Like, I mean, for being third fiddle um, in a, as a sports uh, team in a, or in a sports town, they, they do very well. And then especially once Giannis came, obviously, then, then they sold out every game, you know, um, you know, pre COVID. So uh, that, you know, is there. So maybe it's part of an issue of, could they really support a fourth, um, pro franchise. I mean, that might be certainly part of it. I mean, there's only so many dollars to go around, uh, you know, type of thing. And that might be part of it, but from a, just a, you know, the, the sport itself, um, you know, I think it could have performed very, very well, um, in Wisconsin. So I was a, I became Brewers fan, 87 Bucks fan, 88 Packers fan, 92. Uh, I didn't become a hockey fan until 2015. (laughs) Okay, <laughs> and and I, I was living. I, I lived in San Francisco for 19 years before moving to LA six months ago. So I was a Sharks fan, or I am still. I am still a Sharks fan. Um, and I have to say, playoff hockey is pretty awesome. It's it's amazing, actually. Uh, absolutely, and actually, going to a live hockey game is one of the better sporting experiences you'll have. I mean, you're right on top of the action. The game is just so fast. It's. I mean, it's an incredible live event experience. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. And I actually, I'm okay with it on TV. I'm one of those few people that I can see the puck. I'm good with it. Um, I do think that's a problem for some people. I do think they should bring back some of the AR 
uh, augmented reality things that they used to try to do with regards to seeing the puck more easily. Um, I do think that is a problem uh, for viewer, for some viewers on TV. It, in fact, it probably was a problem for me early on, but then I just got used to it and figured it out. Uh, but anyways, uh, and I actually like regular season hockey too. Uh, but I mean, playoff hockey is, 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 is awesome. It's, it's a, just a great, uh, absolutely great sport. Um, so anyways, uh, it's, it's, it's a little unfortunate that I believe that they don't do a great job marketing it in the U S I think the NHL's marketing arm is not very, they're just not, they're not very proactive. They don't do enough. Nobody, I mean, you can ask most people that are not hockey fans. They couldn't name one single NHL player at all. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas even which the, is a shame because there's so many good young American yeah. hockey players right now. I know, but everyone knows who Aaron Rodgers is or everyone knows who LeBron James is. You don't need to be a fan of the sports to know who they are. Um, and that's really a shame. And baseball a little bit has the same problem too. They've got other issues though, because the sport itself has some things that need to be worked on. But I think, um, but hockey, in my opinion, doesn't. The sport itself is great and it's run really well and the game itself is fast paced and everything. There's really no excuse for it to not be um, top of mind of people uh, when thinking about Well, sports. it's interesting now because, uh, I mean, as I'm sure you're aware, ESPN has just become one of the primary American rights right. holders for the NHL, along with, I think, TNT, yep. I believe. Yep. So correct. it'd be interesting to see if, I mean, A, how hard they push the kind of hockey agenda um, and, and B, what kind of um, what kind of ways do they choose to market it? Because ESPN, I mean, in my opinion, anyways, typically does a pretty good job of, of marketing their properties. I agree. And they've got such a wide reach that maybe they can kind of, you know, kind of create a little bit more interest in the game. And I mean, the, the timing's convenient too for them with the Olympics you know, coming up. Uh, and like I said, with there being such a, an abundance of good young American hockey players, I mean, they can really, if, if you know, if USA wins the gold medal um, at the next Winter Olympics, they can kind of ride that momentum you know, into the playoffs and the Stanley Cup final and, and perhaps maybe generate more eyeballs there. That's right. Yeah, I do agree that the networks themselves can help drastically with the marketing of it uh, to really drive the eyeballs to watching uh, and viewing it. Um, and so maybe, maybe you know, they're, they're, they're content and marketing people, right? So hopefully they can, you know, take advantage of that. But I just, it's really unfortunate because I think the NFL and even the NBA are very, strong at marketing their players and marketing their teams and just marketing in general. And I just, mm-hmm. I just don't understand why the NHL and baseball to another degree as well are kind of a little bit stuck in the dark ages on that. Um, so anyways, I want to shift gears and talk, you know, really about your career in sports media and um, writing and um, you know, in general uh, and, and sports betting actually too, uh, because you you've done it all. So for those in the audience that don't know, um, Toronto uh, or the Sports Network, excuse me, not Toronto Sports Network, uh, not Toronto Sports Network, the Sports Network in Canada is like, it's the largest uh, sports network uh, and sports broadcasting media company in Canada, correct? Yes. So it's basically, you know, it's, it's our version of ESPN. Right. Um, We're actually, so we're owned by a, a major telecommunications company in Canada here, but ESPN does own, I believe it's somewhere around. 30% 30% of our network. So, I mean, our, our programming, we have our own version of Sports Center that, you know, that mimics the American version with all the same, you know, graphics and design packages. Um, and, you know, our, our content, our, our, our programming kind of mirrors what you see on ESPN, just with more of a Canadian flavor and obviously a much 
much, much uh, heavier influence on, on hockey. Right. So that's what I was going to kind of ask is, you know, how close is it to what we get with, I mean, with ESPN, I would say it's probably 70, uh, 65% football NFL and the other 35% all of all other sports. Um, is it kind of the same thing for the sports network up in Canada with regards to hockey? Uh, so in terms of what you see on sports center, for example, um, hockey is, is by far and away the priority. And I mean, it would be at least 65%, probably closer to 75% of the content is geared around hockey um, and the NHL in particular. Now, for the longest time, TSN was a primary rights holder um, for the NHL, but that all changed uh, in the fall of 2013, where they were outbid for the NHL package and this landmark 12-year, five-plus billion dollar deal that uh, a competitor paid to acquire um, exclusive national rights for the NHL. Um, and so we've kind of been shut out from the uh, NHL scene in terms of broadcasting um, on a national stage. We still have um, regional rights to four of the Canadian teams, that being Toronto, Ottawa, Winnipeg, and Montreal. But our NHL coverage, um, NHL programming, sorry, has significantly decreased over the last seven years but that hasn't stopped the the the, the hockey machine at tsn in, in one bit it's we are still the leaders in i mean all things when it comes to, to hockey news hockey information we are in that sense we're basically the sbn of of the nfl in terms of, of hockey in canada where we have all the major insiders we are the go-to source for everything hockey related it's just we don't have a full broadcast package any longer. Got it. Okay. And so you've been there for, wow, almost 15 years, and you're currently focused on sports and sports betting. Has that always been the case? Because, I mean, sports betting has only, you know, really kind of been a, a talkable or, dis, or discussion subject for, I'd say, really the last three to four years in the mainstream media. Um, so I'm kind of curious, when did, when did you really start – being able to write and talk about sports betting and then, you know, what did that look like at the beginning and talk, you know, kind of walk us through up to what you're currently doing right now. Okay. So there's a couple different parts to that question. So I've, like I said, I've been working or like you said, I've been working at, at TSN for the past 15 years in a variety of uh, different behind the scenes television roles. Um, I started as a writer and then I moved on to an associate producer and field producing and then ultimately producing um, sports center shows. Um, and then back about six years, seven years ago, uh, I transitioned into the um, creative department where I still currently work and I focus on um, producing promotional campaigns. Um, but three years ago, I started working for uh, another company on the side, which is um, a website called Sports Betting Dime, um, which focuses on sports betting news, um, all, really all things sports betting. Uh, so I've been writing, you know, about all the major sports and um, their impact in the sports betting world for them since about late 2018. Um, and then just this past fall, TSN, like many, you know, major broadcasters in the um, in the states, kind of launched their own sports betting um, division um, within the company. Now it's still in the very early, early stages, um, and I've been writing, well, I was writing NFL content for them for the duration of the NFL season. Um, 
but it hasn't, there's a lot of, I, I mean, I'm probably not the best person to talk about all the red tape that TSN faces in terms of, um, in terms of what they're restricted to talking about, what they're restricted to um, showing on television in regards to sports betting, because it's still, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not taboo, but it's, there are definitely still things that you have to avoid, you know, speaking about. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas my work with sports betting dime, for example, which is strictly written content that I produce. I mean, that's, it's all sports betting on any sports betting topic you can imagine. Yeah. It's interesting. So I think uh, last year uh, we had David Purdom from ESPN and, you know, one of the things that he talked about was, uh, you know, just really the evolution of ESPN in embracing the topic and content of sports betting. Uh, you know, I mean, let's be real. I mean, it was extremely taboo and you absolutely did not talk about it um, in a uh, public setting uh, through the media in any way, shape or form, uh, even just five years ago or so. And I think it's pretty obvious that the, you know, that PASPA being overturned in May of 2018 was obviously a big catalyst because as more states began legalizing sports betting, and now we're up to close to, I think, 27 uh, that have legalized sports betting. I mean, basically, that means that more than half the country is betting on sports. And, you know, uh, at least down here in the U.S. And when that happens, you know, people clearly want that content, the taboos of sports betting, um, you know, uh, and, the, and the origins of sports betting, like with the mob and uh, the wire act and everything are really a far, far, you know, distant, uh, you know, memory. I mean, that really just, it, it makes people go, well, why are we hiding from this? Like, you know, it's legal. Um, it's an exciting, you know, activity to participate in while watching uh, from the media's perspective, it drives engagement. I mean, when you've got, as I mentioned before in the podcast, when you've got a, you know, blowout at halftime or something like that, or a, just a real bad game coming up, I mean, people can still watch it if there's betting. And so it, it just adds that extra layer of excitement and engagement to a broadcast um, that otherwise wouldn't be there. And now it seems like every single news network, Fox, ESPN, they all have their special dedicated sports betting shows where they just literally talk about sports betting the entire time. Um, so I find that evolution really fascinating. Yeah, so we're not at that point yet in Canada in terms of, of having, you know, full-blown shows that revolve strictly around sports betting. Right now, we're kind of limited to um, written content on the website, uh, digital um, videos, and, you know, the odd segment on SportsCenter that has a, you know, sports betting angle to it. But there are, not yet anyways, is there a... Um, a full-blown sports betting show on the airwaves in Canada further than that. So I'm wondering why that is, because I mean, if it's legal and if people are doing it and uh, it's been that way for some time and it would clearly drive, as I mentioned before, engagement, like a lot of these other networks have found out, I'm just wondering why that has, I mean, it's totally fine if you don't know, but I'm just wondering, you know, is it, it do you think it's going to get there? Do you think it's just going to take some time or, you know, oh, no, this... I think it's inevitable. I think okay. it's, a, it's inevitable. It's just, it seems to me anyways, that we're always just a little bit, um, a little bit slower to roll out um, kind of new ideas than, mm -hmm. than they are in the States. And, right. you know, it's only a matter of time. I mean, like you said, everyone, 
everyone bets on sports, whether it's legal or not. I mean, you said that what, it's, it's legal in 26 or 27 of the states. I mean, I think everyone believes that in, in all the states where it's quote unquote, quote unquote illegal. I mean, everyone's still betting anyways. They're finding ways sure. around it. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's only a matter of time. And, and this industry is only going to continue to get, you know, bigger and stronger and, and more mainstream because, I mean, just the level of entertainment it provides to, you know, to watching sports is, I mean, it's, 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 it's incredible. And, and there's a reason why people watch, you know, the Jaguars versus the Texans on Thursday night, you know, every year. And it's not to see, you know, two of the, you know, lesser ranked teams in the NFL play. It's because, you know, they have action on the game one way or another. Right. So when you're writing or talking about it um, on uh, sports betting dime versus say uh, TSN, uh, like with sports betting dime, are you actually kind of breaking down? Uh, Cause it looks like you're really heavy into the data part of it uh, or things. Are you really breaking down the data and why that translates into positive expected value for the customers or, or what does that writing style look like? Um, well, the, the main goal is to, for, for sports betting, for example, the main goal is to promote whatever online sports uh, website is offering, you know, odds on a particular bet. So your, your, your primary goal is to, I guess, is to convert readers into customers. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And so is it an affiliate network? Is that really what sports betting time is? Yes. Yes. And so you're writing about, I mean, you're trying to give, you're trying to break down whatever bet or whatever prop you're writing about. You're trying to give the best analysis that you can and, you know, hopefully provide people with, you know, with, with information, not necessarily picks, but with information to make smart decisions. Um, and if they choose to make those, you know, you know, those decisions out of sports book that's affiliated with, with sports betting dime, then that's, you know, a bonus for, for everyone involved, um, in terms of TSN, it's almost more of your, um, you're, you're, you're more writing a game preview with a sports betting angle. So you're kind of previewing a game, but you are, making a case for one side um, or another. But you're not like making picks or anything like that, right? You're offering a pick, but it's, okay. it's that, that's not the goal. The goal is to, um, the goal is to provide, you know, your readers with information and let them make their own decision. So would you say that the audience at Sports Betting Dime uh, is savvier from a sports betting perspective and just a lot more in tune with all the analytics and data than say that maybe possible casual fan or viewer at TSM? I think they're more experienced with it for sure, but I don't think that that's going to be the case forever. Obviously the more mainstream the sports betting conversation becomes, the more eyeballs are going to be going to be focused on, you know, big, big networks that are offering this type of content, like, you know, like our network in Canada, like, you know, ESPN and CBS and NBC in, in the States. So it's so, probably more of a casual audience, but they're trying to, you know, they're trying to grow that already audience and they're trying to, you know, better, I guess they're trying to educate the customers or not customers, but audience that they already have. Okay. So they're actually trying to help them learn and become more savvy. Then. Correct. Yeah. That's awesome. So um, it looks like you're a big golf 
fan and I know the PGA championships coming up. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, I am the opposite. I never watch golf. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you know, that golf is by far the best sport to, to have action on. Why is that? It's a four day sweat. Yeah. Right? I mean, you get four days worth of entertainment for one. But you can make the argument about tennis too, then as well. It's a two week sweat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If, if you're only betting outrights for sure, but you know, there's, there's so many different ways to bet on golf as well. Um, and if you are into, you know, daily fantasy sports, fantasy sports, like I am, um, daily fantasy golf is, is quite a roller coaster for sure. And it's, it's a lot of fun. So I just got into, or not really into it, but really started to understand and study it uh, about a year and a half ago when we added, uh, some daily fantasy sports features for the NFL to Zen sports. Uh, so we actually do offer daily fantasy sports betting for NFL for Zen sports. Um, uh, that's pretty straightforward, you know, picking a lineup of players across all the different teams. Is that what you're doing in daily fantasy golf is picking a lineup of all different individual players? Yeah. So it's a salary cap game similar to, I mean, to most right. daily fantasy sports where, you know, you're trying to pick six golfers to fit under a, you know, a set cap, a set salary cap. Um, scoring is rewarded for, you know, for birdies, for eagles, for pars and is subtracted mm-hmm. for bogeys or, or worse. And you also are rewarded scoring points for um, finishing position at the end of the tournament. So I would say the main goal is to, is to get as many of your six golfers, ideally six of them, uh, A, through the cut line uh, and playing on the weekend mm-hmm. uh, and then try to accumulate as, as many scoring points and as best finishing position um, as you can. But, but then that's not really daily. I mean, if it goes for the whole week of the whole tournament, I thought daily is just for that day. Well, there also are, so it's, it falls under the umbrella of, of daily fantasy sports. There are also what they're called um, showdown contests, which are one day or one round in this case for golf um, contests where it's the exact same thing. It's, you know, a salary cap game where you're picking six golfers and you're rewarded points for the same things. It's just, you're not, uh, you're not chasing finishing position points because, you know, there's no finishing position relevancy after the first round. Got it. Okay. So, so you can play both here. There's, there's, you know, there's the, the, the four round or four round version, which is the traditional version, but there are also um, one day contests for that as well. Got it. And then on the traditional sports betting side, um, are you into that as well for golf, uh, or do you only do daily fantasy for golf? No, I'm, I'm very much into to betting golf and, and betting golf in a variety of different ways. Not only just, you know, trying to pick out right winners, which I mean, by the way, is incredibly difficult. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but then of course, that is my next question is <laughs> who do you like to win? Or at least give us your top two or three, the PGA um, championship coming up. All right. So just, you know, I, just for those of you who, you know, are maybe interested in golf, but aren't super familiar with uh, the course they're going to be playing at this week. This is, I mean, on paper anyways, this is potentially the hardest major championship course that I knew that the PJ tour has ever um, played on. It's, it's over 7,800 yards. It's right on the Atlantic ocean, which means winds are going to be unpredictable and can kind of show up out of nowhere. And if that's the case, if it gets really, really windy this week, you know, you're going to see some really, really high scores. But I mean, having said that, the just the length itself of the golf course, 7,800 yards is, I mean, it's a beast, a beast of a golf course. And where is this located? So this is located at Kiwa Island in South Carolina. Got it. 
I should have mentioned that it's the ocean course at Kiowa Island. And um, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be, it projects anyways to be an incredibly difficult um, tournament and in terms of, of players. I like, I mean, it's, it's going to be hard to, to envision someone ranked outside of the top 10 um, that ultimately wins this tournament. I mean, 11, I think 11 of the past 12 major winners um, on us soil have been top 15 players in the world or, um, or better. And it's just, it, it's going to be one of the big boys that wins this week. And in terms of guys, I like, um, First and foremost, South Carolina boy, Dustin Johnson, number one mm-hmm. player in the world, yet he checks in this week with the six shortest odds. Um, there is a narrative out, th- out there this week that he's potentially hurt because he, he skipped and withdrew from last week's Byron Nelson. But I mean, the guy was doing backflips off a yacht uh, <laughs> on social media. So I think he'll be just fine. <laughs> so there's yeah. a lot of value at him right now at 18 to 1. Um, another guy I like is, uh, again, towards the top of the range, one of the best players in the world, Xander Schauffele. Uh, never won a major, but has been ridiculously close several times. Seven top six finishes in 15 career major starts, including a uh, third place finish just last month at the Masters. Um, and he was in you know, that tournament right to the very end. An elite driver of the golf ball. It's a total game. I mean, he's, he's a stud and he's going to win a lot of these things in the future. And I mean, I like him to win this week. Nice. So would you say that going back to the tough golf course code? So um, would you say that in general, that the golf courses in the U S are some of the toughest in the world or the toughest. Um, I mean, it, it depends. There are, I mean, there's arguments to be made that there are some of the toughest courses are definitely in the States, but there's also, you know, some, some extremely difficult courses overseas in, in Europe in, in particular. And the thing about playing golf over in Europe is the weather is so unpredictable that, you know, even a course that on paper doesn't protect to be that difficult. If the winds are, are swirling and you have crosswinds blowing this way and that, and it's raining and, I mean, it can just, it can just make the course play extremely difficult. Right. But it just seems like, it seems like the U S course designers, just from what I kind of hear, it feels like they really like to try to challenge the players in terms of the, in terms of the way they lay it out. Obviously you can get weather factors anywhere. uh, So that's certainly an issue, but just in terms of like the course layout, you know, what would you say there are the U S ones, you know, pretty, uh, I'll use the pun on par uh, with others or, or more difficult. They're, I mean, easier. they're definitely, yeah, they're de- The U S is, is full of, of very, very challenging golf courses that, you know, you know, the professionals play uh, every year. The problem is, is these guys are so ridiculously good now that, you know, there's, there's an argument out there that they need to find a way to make the golf courses even tougher because guys are, are shooting just remarkable scores these days, you know, thanks to, you know, a just an increase in, in talent in, in, in the game, but also the technology and the equipment has come a long ways to help. You know, to help players hit the ball further, farther, and help the help them stop the ball. You know, kind of on a dime, and so there's a lot of factors that play into into that. Um, but I mean, the bottom line is, you know, the best players in the world are. Uh, I mean, they can bring almost any course to their knees, and it'll be interesting to see how they play. Uh, at this venue this week, because again, on paper, I mean, there's never been a major championship contested, of course, this long. So I got to ask about that because there's always a lot of kind of schools of thought um, regarding equipment, um, golf, tennis, and even bowling, which I was a huge bowler back in uh, my days uh, in Wisconsin, that they just make it too easy. Right. So like in bowling, I'll just take that for example, Uh, when the reactive resin equipment came out about 25 years ago or so score shut up. Um, you know, it just made it too easy to cut through the oil. Um, it hit the pins with, you know, force that had never been seen before. 
300s became commonplace, um, 800s became commonplace, and we had the first ever 900 series. I think a couple of them, if not uh, one. So, and and then tennis, you know, kind of the same thing with serving, right? I mean, the serves nowadays, well, and really for the last 25, 30 years, has really been kind of, you know, uh, <laughs> almost out of control, especially in the men's game, um, you know, since uh, wooden rackets were not a thing anymore. And it kind of in some ways takes away the game. So how do you, what, what side of the fence do you stand on with regards to the equipment in golf, making it easier for the top players to be able to conquer these courses? Um, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I, I think that in golf, for example, elite, elite players are, there's such a, a gap between what an elite player could do with you know, the most advanced technology compared to what, you know, your average Joe could do, I think more so than any other sport. Um, however, you could put, you know, you could put clubs in their hands from, you know, a decade ago and they would still, I, I honestly believe they would still, you know, they would still tear these courses up. These, these guys, these days, it's, it's not like, you know, golf has this, you know, negative connotation around it, that it's, it's a bunch of, um, you know, out of shape, um, out of shape, uh, you know, men and women that are, that are out there, but the further, it couldn't be further from the truth. These are, you know, elite athletes, athletes, excuse me, who, who spend just as much time training, you know, off the course as they do on the course. And I mean, sure technology helps, but even if you dialed back, um, the technology that's available to them, these guys and, and women too, I mean, let's, I don't want to, um, understate how impressive some of these women are on, um, on the professional golfing scene as well um they would just they would they would they would adapt and they would find you know they would find a way to shoot scores that, that probably mimic what they shoot now right right that makes that makes sense so wrapping up here uh we've got to talk about uh cryptocurrencies and i know you mentioned off air that uh you're a bit new into the game uh of both trading cryptocurrencies or understanding what blockchain is which is Totally good because we have a wide demographic of our audience that uh, ranges from super, super experienced to never even bought their first Bitcoin. So um, I want to ask you, as someone who's been in crypto maybe for two or three years like you have, what are your just overall impressions or thoughts of cryptocurrency uh, from, the, from the standpoint of somebody who you know, bought your first crypto or first Bitcoin in, you know, 2018, 2019. And what do you think this all means? Um, I'm really curious to get kind of newbies impression of it because, you know, blockchain nerds like myself, I haven't actually been in it that long, but I really dove into it when I did. Um, you know, we believe it's the future, right? Of all payments. But that's of course not the same vision that or same thought that everybody has. So I would just love to get your thought as to what you think crypto means to you. And you can, you know, kind of touch on how it fits into sports betting too, if you want, but yeah, I would love to just kind of get your thoughts on crypto in general for those of us, for those in our audience that might be newer to it. Sure. So, I mean, as you mentioned, I've, you know, I've been buying Bitcoin um, the last few years on a regular basis. And I mean, for me, I've been treating it more like, like digital, digital gold than anything else. Um, I think there's, a desperate need for a like for a decentralized decentralized currency. Um, you know, it just the I, I know our country as well as um, in the states as well. I mean, they're constantly you know 
racking up more and more debt, which, you know, is causing them to print more and more uh, U.S. and Canadian dollars, which is, you know, hurting the value, the overall value of um, uh, of the dollar. And I think there needs to also be a um, a choice for for people out there that, you know, maybe they maybe maybe you don't want to keep you know, all of your, your money in a, in a bank, in a traditional banking environment. And, you know, I think the blockchain could, you know, could solve a lot of the, the problems that you see uh, in terms of the banking industry these days. And in terms of sports betting, you know, if, if everything is, is public on the blockchain and, you know, there's a, a record of everything, every transaction that's made, I mean, in terms of sports betting, it would help protect the customer. I mean, you hear so many stories about, um, you know, customers, being ripped off um, by, you know, by sports books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that would be, you know, almost impossible if, if everything was, you know, a public record on the blockchain. Yeah. And I, I think also <clears throat> um, decentralized payments uh, remove a lot of the restrictions on being able to gain. Right. Because uh, just to kind of take a step back here and look at traditional financial institutions, if you want to deposit funds in a legitimate legalized betting site out there, there is a good 40 to 50 percent chance your bank's going to flat out decline the transaction. They just don't want to send money to those kinds of products, despite how the fact that they're perfectly legal. Um, and it's ridiculous. Not only that too, but I mean, this happened to me a bunch of times as well, is that you'll be charged an additional fee if, oh, yeah. if the transaction actually goes through. I didn't Which, get to I mean, that obviously... part. That was the next part. I was going to say the fees for any kind of gaming transactions are through the roof. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And you get high fees, long settlement times, chargebacks on the operator side that they have to deal with. Um, basically, it's just Big Brother telling you what you can and cannot do with your money in a legalized way. It's just bullshit, to be honest. I just, uh, I just don't get it. 100%. I think that's, I mean, of course, that's a huge problem with, um, when it comes to 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 our, our finances, but just in general, I mean, you know, feeling like you have no control, um, or that the government has too much control over, you know, our day to day lives, and this is just kind of, you know, this 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 there is no need for that. You know, there there should be a better way. And I mean, I, I'm hopeful. <laughs> Again, right. I'm a crypto novice, but I'm hopeful that you know we're gonna get to a point a, a place in our lives where you know a decentralized economy is. Uh, more prevalent. Well, and it really starts with folks like you, you know, saying, look, I want to check this out. I want to see what this is about. I'm willing to give it a chance. I'm willing to uh, invest, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be your money per se, but I'm willing to invest my time and effort into learning about this and to, um, you know, to make this a thing. I'm willing to tell other people about it. I'm willing to spread the word. I'm willing to, you know, support it here and there, maybe on social media, stuff like that. Those are all the little things that build the movement, and um, and it's uh, it's it is it is it is a movement, uh, and it's uh, and it's moving pretty quickly, I think, which is which is really outstanding. And so, yeah, we're very excited about it here at Zen Sports. Um, you know, we most of the transactions we process are in crypto uh, currency, and uh, we're just super super excited for the future of it. Uh, we really believe it is the future of payments. We believe it's the future of rewards. Um, and uh, decentralized finance. So, yeah. Um, well, Chris, uh, I have a question was, for you. Oh, actually, yeah. yeah. Go are ahead. you are you more bullish on Bitcoin or Ethereum? Um, so I I'm not bullish on Ethereum. I believe well, they are going to be making some changes to the uh, 
technology of Ethereum to make the gas cost a lot lower because right now it's absurdly obnoxiously expensive um, in terms of sending funds. Uh, it's not tenable. It's actually worse than credit cards. That's not good. Um, but that look, you know, technology takes time to evolve and get there. So I, I can be patient with them. Uh, I do agree with you that Bitcoin is mostly a store of value. It's mostly a digital gold. Uh, it's not a good form of accepting payments. Although in the early days with crypto, it, it's good because there might not be other options. I'm very bullish on stable coins. Um, so stable coins are basically the US dollar equivalent of cryptocurrency that are pegged and tied to the dollar that don't fluctuate in value or, or very, very close, like to the one one thousandth of a penny uh, in terms of, uh, of value. Uh, to the dollar. And so basically they can be used for dollars, but have all the benefits of crypto um, with decentralized payments, sending the funds. And now that there are some really great on and off ramps in terms of exchanges and whatnot to get those uh, stable coins that are in dollars back to your actual bank account, um, it's huge. And in the future, as time goes on, you won't even need the bank account anymore because the merchants or the you know bakery on the corner is going to just flat out accept you know Tether or DAI or any other stable coin inside of the dollar, you don't even need the bank there. And so banks are going to, you know, I think lose considerable amounts of service uh, or business, I should say, um, due to that. So I'm really, really bullish on stable coins. And, and then the, th the, the other thing I'm very bullish on is rewards. So we, uh, for example, with Zen Sports, we offer a rewards token called Sports and people can earn sports tokens for referring others, for referring friends, uh, getting cashback bonuses based on their play, um, staking bonuses, um, promotions, contests, that sort of thing. And the benefit of cryptocurrency for rewards is it's much more easily transferable across networks. Um, it's got a cash value component. You can get into and get out of it quickly if you want. Uh, it's more fun. It's more gamified. Um, it's more real. Um, so if you look at one side of the spectrum, like miles for airlines, that's not very liquid or transferable or easy you're like you're you're locked into the delta network or the united network whatever it might be with a cryptocurrency rewards token you can transfer you can cash it out you can do whatever with it so it's it's pretty cool um and so very bullish on stable coins very bullish on rewards tokens bullish on nfts as well uh and then uh, bullish on bitcoin as a as a as a form of value like gold and then if Ethereum can kind of get their act together on the technology side, then I'd, I'd be more bullish on them because they obviously have uh, an incredible network of users that they've built out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So, yeah. Um, well, Chris, this was awesome. Uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us here on the Ball and Chain podcast. We talked all of my favorite subjects, Packers, sports, <laughs> sports betting, and crypto. Uh, <laughs> so uh, really, really appreciate your time. This was great. Uh, you've been an awesome guest. And uh, thanks again for joining us tonight. Yeah, my pleasure. It was, you know, it was a lot of fun talking to you. And um, I really hope that what we, uh, that you kind of talked me into a better place in regards to the 2021 uh, Packers season. He's going to be back. They've got their defense fixed. All the offensive players are back except for Lindsley. They're going to the Super Bowl. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> awesome, Chris. Have a great night. Same to you. Great talking to you, Mark. <laughs>